0: Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor Terry Thorne delivers the message entitled, The Song We Sing. So join us now from the sanctuary of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab.
1: So our second reading today is also from the Old Testament. It's from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and his people with truth. This too is the joyful word of the Lord let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for the privilege and opportunity to gather open and freely to worship you. And we pray that during this time of worship, as your word is sung and read and proclaimed and prayed, that your spirit would be in this place and moving among us, opening our eyes to see and our ears to hear you and what you have to say to us in a new way and opening our lives to be transformed by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing to the Lord a new song. For many people, myself included, music has the power to heal hearts and touch souls in a way that no other art form has. Music creates moods, it changes moods, it lifts your mood, it commiserates with your mood. There are songs that have been written that express lament and joy and praise and pain and defiance and solidarity. On any given day, the playlist that I'm singing, which will always be in private, not public, is related to how I'm feeling that day or what I'm going through in my life in that moment. This week, I've been thinking a lot about the opening line of this psalm. Sing to the Lord a new song. Pondering, what song are we currently singing? What song are we singing in our own lives? What song are we singing in this congregation? But mostly, what song are we singing in the world? What metaphorical song resonates given the violence the death, the hatred, the pain, particularly as we have seen in Israel and Palestine and Gaza, but in a whole lot of other places as well, even on the streets of Indianapolis. What song is the world singing right now? Is it a lament? Is it a battle hymn? Is it a blues song? Or maybe a rap filled with anxiety and frustration and anger? Does it have that broken heartedness of a country twang song? Or the glory of a classic hymn? Well, my sense is that the global tune is some sort of jazz piece right now. Jazz, as I understand it, is the style of music where only those who are playing and performing the music actually know what's coming next and that's often decided right on the fly. So the listeners are at the mercy of the unpredictability of jazz music. There's this aspect of improvisation in jazz that kind of feels like no one actually is in control of that musical piece. And as the observer, you trust that someone's leading it, but you can't always see who it is or where they're going. And to me, that's how the world feels right now. We trust that God is in control, or at least we want to trust that, but we're struggling to see where God is or what God is doing or where God is leading us. And I, I'm sure there are some who are even wondering, has God all but abandoned the world? many are singing, How long, O Lord, how long? Where does our help come from? And that, my friends, is not unlike the song of the Israelites during their time of exile in Babylonia, which is the context for the reading that Andrew just gave for us today from Isaiah. God's chosen people are waiting in a captivity wondering how long till God steps in and rescues them, restores them, and makes good on promises. And this guy Cyrus, he's not an Israelite, if that didn't come through loud and clear. He is, in fact, a Persian king who is set on enlarging his territory by conquering other nations, including Babylonia surely this invasion that um, cyrus is launching is going to cause anxiety and uncertainty for the babylonians but it would have also been worrisome to the israelites as well i mean what happens when your captor becomes captured well god's answer to their concern is basically don't worry I am still in control even of this invader Cyrus. In essence, God says, I'm choosing this most unexpected king as my anointed one. That means my chosen one. In fact, the word in Hebrew here is the same word that we call Messiah. I'm choosing this invader as my chosen one to carry out my purposes and he doesn't even know it that I am God and I'm the one making him victorious over the Babylonians I'm the one paving the way for him to capture your captors because I am God and I have a plan for you my people now what we heard today from Andrew does not give away the ending so I will Ultimately, Cyrus defeats the Babylonians and frees the Israelites to return to their home. You want an additional spoiler, and that's this. There is no indication anywhere in history that Cyrus ever knew he was part of God's plan. In fact, according to some of his own writings, which you can find in the British Museum, Cyrus's loyalty was to the Mesopotamian god Marduk whom he credits for all of his victories. So no, Cyrus never knew that the God of Israel was on his side. And frankly, God doesn't seem to care whether Cyrus uh, uh, accepted this as fact or not. Instead, God was much more concerned that the Israelites were reminded through the prophet Isaiah, once again, who is ultimately responsible for the big picture isaiah's telling of this story is not for cyrus's sake it is to reveal again the timeless truths about god to god's people now if you take that reading with what i offered you from psalm today and you pull them together i think there's at least three truths in this scripture that hold for us today as well as the original hearers. And I believe they're truths that we really need to hear, perhaps more than any other time in most of our lifetimes. So let me share them with you. The first truth is that, and it has been true since the creation stories in the book of Genesis, that God's will... For all of creation is for fullness of life, for goodness, for shalom. God desires his creation to be free to flourish. Such is the grace of God. To promote what is good for God's people, to act with justice and righteousness, and to continually offer redemption and restoration and hope. And as a corollary, God also has always been seeking the expansion of his just, benevolent, plentiful kingdom, whether we personally cooperate with him or not. But imagine if we did. What if we believed and attempted to fully live this truth? What would it take for us to trust that God wants all creation to flourish? How might we live differently? Would we think twice about how we treat the earth? would we think twice about how we treat each other? Perhaps we would become more committed to working toward that which allows all people to thrive, not just those with generational support or access. Our cries for justice, those would become more adamant, wouldn't they? And we would not tolerate the Systems that create hurdles and barriers for folks, keeping them from achieving their goals or preventing them from having the most basic access to the basics of life, like food and shelter and education and health care. How might the world be different if we, God's people, proclaimed and walked in this powerful truth God wants me to thrive. God wants you to thrive. God wants our neighbors to thrive. God wants all of creation to grow and to thrive and to prosper. Nothing less for all of creation. I would have to think there'd be a lot less competition with one another And a whole lot more celebrating together. The second truth, bold and unequivocal truth revealed in these two readings, is that God is the only true God. Everything else is an idol. Or, as the psalmist so eloquently put it, all the gods of the peoples are idols. Folks, you know what this means? If it's not God, it is an idol. It will not, it cannot give us what God gives. Now, another way of thinking about this is that God is the only one who is ultimately in control, regardless of how much we might think we are. Cyrus may have very well believed that he was in control of his victory or that the god Marduk was, but in the bigger picture, that was not the case. Now, mind you, Cyrus may have made his own choice to invade Babylonia, which he did because he had free will, because God controls but is not controlling. But in this situation, God was working at a whole different level using Cyrus's actions for a greater purpose than what Cyrus ever knew or understood. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I find this really difficult to wrap my head around. And at times, it can feel simultaneously frightening, not knowing what God's up to. And yet strangely reassuring to not have to know because it doesn't depend on me. And so I'm in my own spiritual life learning to live in that liminal in-between place and leaning into the reality that over and again and not just throughout the history of faith, which it is true, but also in my own life that God has proven Despite the way things may seem in the moment, despite things that, what may seem like controvertible evidence or incontrovertible evidence, despite what is unknown, known, or unknowable, God is in control and has a plan in ways we, in ways I, don't comprehend until it's revealed which is almost always in retrospect. And so just as the Israelites and the Persians could not have fathomed the role that Cyrus would play in God's salvation story, there are so many things that happen that don't make sense to us. And sometimes we can't envision a radical plan of good, particularly when there's uncertainty or delay or devastation all around us and i believe it's a real struggle for many folks right now we want to believe and trust that god is in control but the world around us seems to be spinning out of control and that leads to the third truth of these texts which is the one which is i believe the reason we struggle so much to live fully into the first two And the truth is this, God is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, he's H-O-L-Y too, but holy, unpredictable. There is a wildness about God that cannot and will not be tamed. Like a wild flower that grows wherever it chooses, God will grow God's kingdom wherever and in whatever way God sees fit. Even through the seemingly unrelated actions of others. Church, God is not only in control, God cannot be controlled or predicted and so God will not be enclosed in these tiny little boxes of our expectations of our understandings of our interpretations despite our constant efforts to try to shove him in there despite plenty of messages that are contrary to this we are the limited beings, not God. And we don't always get to see and know what God is doing. The where, when, and who, and how of God's big picture is often undisclosed to us. And we are called through faith to trust that it exists and to remember that the why is always for our ultimate good but that's so much more easily said than done because we humans God's people humans are quick to forget that God is God and we are not. We foolishly allow our limited perspective to become our sense of reality. If it's what I see, if it's what I think, if it's what I feel, then it must be what it is. In our mistaken belief that we can actually comprehend God, we create these very narrow definitions of what God will or won't do. We set expectations on how and through whom God will work in our own lives and in the world. And you know what happens is then fear and impatience and lack of trust sets in when it doesn't happen the way we think it would. And so we take matters in our own hands rather than to just look and trust That God's plan is at work. We, friends, are guilty of making God into our image rather than recognizing God's image in one another. But what if we didn't do that either? What if we stopped limiting God and instead opened ourselves to the endless possibilities offered by the one true creative God of all? What if rather than um, needing to see in order to believe, we chose to believe so that we can start seeing God in the world and in each other? Consider for a moment how our lives would change if we actually gave credence to the truth that God works in and through people and situations in ways we cannot even begin to comprehend. Imagine if we saw those that are around us, those who are like us, those who are very different from us, those who believe what we do, and those who do not believe what we do. Those who have what we have, those who don't have what we have, or who, those who have what we don't have. What if we understood that every single person that crosses our path for an instant, for an hour, or for a lifetime, has the potential to be someone that God has sent to work out His purpose of good. And not necessarily some generic good, but for our very own good. Friends, if we embodied that, how could we ever hate or harm or hurt other folks, no matter what? We don't know how God's using them. How could we ignore or distance ourselves or insist to either you conform to my way or go away? We don't know how God is using them. I wonder how much more of a beloved community would be created and how many more doors to meaningful relationships would be open and how greater would God's kingdom grow if we just let God be God and we look for God at work in one another. What idols would we be free to finally set aside? What would happen to our fear? How would our expectations change of God and of each other? And most importantly, how then would we be transformed? And I wonder too, what new song would we then sing for the Lord? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. What new song would we sing? Now, most assuredly, uncertainty and anxiety and fear will always be present on the wider scale such as what we are sensing right now because of the tensions in the world, but also on the small, although not insignificant scale, such as a congregation waiting nervously for what's next after a long and lovely pastorate. There will be times when we don't understand what's happening in our own lives, or when we can't see at God, or I'm sorry, can't see God at work, or when we can't resist is this that urge to take control. And yeah, you know what? even there're going to be times, not necessarily intentionally, but maybe more so out of fear, that we'll attempt to put a leash on God. To tame God into the image that we have made of God rather than to understand it's the other way around. Until God's kingdom is fully established on earth as it is in heaven, we're going to sing all sorts of songs in our hearts, different songs different genres and different parts and different arrangements and it's going to be based on what's happening in our own little world and in God's great big one the good news is this there is one consistent thing in every song that God's beloved are ever to sing and that is this hope always sings the descant and i know what a descant is (laughs) the overarching voice the one voice that covers all the singing the one that soars and lifts and brings up the beauty of the full choir of voices the descant of our lives is hope that we have been given through jesus christ Hope that God will only and always work for the good of all creation. Hope that God is perfectly in control rather than any imperfect one of us. Hope that God is God and we are not. Hope that God's mercy and compassion and justice and love revealed in Christ Jesus himself is without end. Hope that our salvation is ours to receive through the one, the one who was willing and knew that he was being used by God in a greater plan for the good of all of creation. Friends, in the midst of all that causes us to tremble and fear, and there's so much of that, let us, the church, Sing boldly to the Lord a new song, a song of promise and truth in which hope and only hope always sings the desk
0: You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the TAB podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabprez.org, tap on the graphic marked sermons and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live-streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indy. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab.